Welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio. Tonight, we're going to have passion like you've never seen before because not only are we talking <laughs> scrubs tonight, Owen, you got something in the mail today. That you are I probably, I mean, the passion meter is probably on what? God, That's it? 11? 11. I, well, I mean, for me, 11 is higher than most. I mean, you're constantly six, so, or six is shit. I mean, I'm just kind of there. But anyway, yeah, I, uh, I got, uh, 1.1 baby rough scales from Dave D in the mail today. And I'm, Ooh. I was, Oh God, I was all over them. It was nuts. So after work, I drove straight down because I hadn't delivered to Andrew's house because I was working. And every time I have snakes delivered to the office, I get in trouble. So I, um, <laughs> drove down and I got to, I got to, you know, mess around with the little ones and see my, uh, my, my, uh, older ones so it was cool kind of to do the comparison and contrasting between the older roughies and these roughies um yeah i was already i'm already obsessed with them so i have a very serious problem <laughs> there's a very real possibility i'll get rid of all the carpets and just get nothing but rough scales so oh um, no <laughs> <laughs> i hope it doesn't happen but just so everyone in the world says, no, you know, sees it coming. It's a very real possibility. So, oh, wow. Awesome. I, I, yeah, love it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go back down. Uh, it was a quick visit, and uh, I couldn't really – they wouldn't stop moving, and they were all stressed out from shipping. So I'll go back down probably this weekend and actually get uh, pictures of everybody um, just so I can post them all up. And uh, But, dude, the stripes – on the sides that we were talking about. Right. It, it, it's like 10 times more obvious in person. <laughs> it's like, it's like, ah. oh, holy crap. So, um, they're like, it's almost like vertical lightning bolts on their sides. <laughs> uh, and I totally dig it. So, um, yeah, if, if you're out there and you have any interest in Morelia Caranata and you're on the fence about it, just freaking do it. I mean, there, if you like, if you like scrubs, if you like green trees, if you like carpets, these things are going to be like all of those animals combined into one, and you're absolutely going to love them. So, uh, and also again, I would highly, highly, highly recommend Dave D. And all his stuff. Um, did a great job packing them. He was uh, they're they're already a year old, so they're already on out of that fragile baby stage. Uh, I've already purchased one of my my older female is from him as well, so this just kind of adds to it. And uh, can't thank him enough. And they are fantastic animals. And he does a great job with all that stuff. So I recommend it any more than I already do. So yes, yes. And actually, <laughs> you are actually closer to my rough scales than I am. So. They're, they're, <laughs> That's why I have not told you Andrew's address. 
They are um, literally like three blocks away from you. Oh, <laughs> that's excellent. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's cool, man. That's cool. I know you are uh, you you are super excited about that species for sure. Oh my but, god. But uh, that's uh, yeah. I let me let me. I just got to pause here for a second, but Pausing. there has to be fifteen callers on on <laughs> in the lineup. I've never seen this what many many calls. Uh, I guess we got to do scrub away? shows more often. <laughs> yeah. I guess so. I guess everybody, Dave, Dave brings out the scrub people from wherever it is they're hiding. So. Well, it's funny. So when uh, we we haven't done a scrub show in a long time, and yeah. one of the reasons is is because it's so hard to find people to come on and talk scrubs. You know, a lot of stuff is right. Um, you know, there's not a lot of natural history that's known about them. Um, you know, a lot of, they're not something that's um, bred all the time in captivity. Uh, you still have Halmahera scrubs, which are the only python that hasn't been produced in captivity. So it's not like a species that, you know, there's a ton of information out. So it's kind of, well, the good thing is, is that when you have somebody like Dave come on, it's like, you know, oh my God this is the greatest thing ever because, you know, we'll be able to, 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 to hear what he does. Cause in, the, mm. uh, um, so when we had him on in the very beginning, it was so funny because I was, I was kind of like researching to see what we talked about on on that show. And me and you had no clue when it came to scrub. No, you were <laughs> and, and then, and then I listened to the Blake show. No, <laughs> Dude. Don't. <laughs> Oh my gosh! But it's so funny to see how far, see how far we've uh, we've come. You know, I mean, Expanded you were like knowledge, yeah, yeah. You were like saying that you didn't you didn't like white lips, and <laughs> you know, well, you're like, why was... would you keep them? <laughs> oh, it's so great. Before I became a sick, sadistic bastard. I mean, you know, that was something's wrong with me. So yeah, so. uh so yeah, we're going to be talking with Dave. Um, Dave is, uh, he was the first guy that I really spoke to about scrubs. So, um, mm-hmm. when, when I first started this show, for those who don't know, for some of our newer listeners, you know, I was a big fan of reptile radio and they would not do a scrub Python show. They just wouldn't do it. So, um, I was kind of disappointed. Uh, so I thought, well, man, if, if I ever have a podcast, I'm going to make sure that we have a scrub show because I want to talk to to these guys about scrubs. And, uh, you know, the first episode that we had to do a scrub show was with Blake Bauer and I was, right, I was and we sick. It, <laughs> it was yeah. horrible. And I, I was, it was the one show that I was looking forward to. Um, luckily that was backed up right by David and I was in that one, but, um, I don't know. It's funny, uh, how those things go. So, uh, scrubs, they're they're they are probably would you I, I would dare say that they have to be one of the prettiest pythons uh out oh, there just just in their natural state i mean they're just yeah. beautiful snakes um very impressive for sure uh so Definitely. so yeah we'll get I mean, we, we'll uh, get dave on in a minute go ahead yeah i mean like the uh the obviously the scrubs it's 
it, it, a lot of people tend to like them. The sleek body, big bulky head, um, and I, I don't think anything can trump a really good looking Barneck uh, Jaya, no. especially. So I mean, those those kind of demand your attention, and uh, so they're they're a really cool species. Um, uh, we're lucky enough to actually have a few of Dave's Barnecks uh, here here but with rogues so it's uh they're very cool to uh hopefully we'll hopefully get some big-headed nippy babies at some point I'm not sure how happy i'll be when we get them but you know we'll, we'll try so um but scrubs themselves and, and having the entire complex of all the different types and varieties um obviously uh, my favorite scrub is malukans just because yes. of their laid-back attitude and their gorgeous coloration um yes and that those are by far my favorites. So it's almost like with scrubs, there's there's one for everybody. If you want a really big one, that's kind of chill. If you want, you can get a, a southern. If you want the larger one, that might be a little bit more of a hassle. You can go barneck, and then of course, if you want the smaller ones, get malukins, things like that. There, there seems to be a lot for everybody. So they're very cool. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> um, but before we get Dave on, I just want to give a. Um, yes. Uh, I don't know if you caught this show called The Zoo. Have you seen this? Uh, I saw commercials and previews for it. Um, isn't it the camera crew following the keepers at the it's the Bronx Zoo, right? Yes, yes. So okay. our buddy Chris Salemi, he works at the Bronx Zoo. Um, I watched the first episode. It was on Animal Planet, and I was kind of like, uh, you know, it's on Animal Planet, but it's actually pretty decent. Um, so if you haven't caught it, animal planet? yeah, I think about you'll animals. like it, Owen, because yeah, it's about animals. I think you'll yeah. like it because it's, uh, you know, you have zookeeper experience. So, uh, when did they, it's kind of uh, neat to see the like, behind the scenes stuff. That is always cool. I just want to know about halfway through, do they stop talking about the animals and then build a tree house? Because no. that seems to be, Oh, they don't. Well then why the hell no. is it on animal planet? <laughs> I don't understand. I don't yeah. get it. Nope. No tree houses. All animals. Um, Weird. Yeah. It's pretty pretty neat. But uh, if but you the, if you got a chance, check it out. That is cool to follow the keepers and do all the behind the scenes stuff. I mean, that's that's the side of the zoo you don't ever really see. Um, and uh, that is, of course, the, the you know if I we should watch it just to see if we end up seeing like. Chris Salemi in the background, like picking up tiger poop or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I thought he would be yeah. on this episode, but he wasn't. But uh, yeah. I think he told me at, at some point he's in there somewhere. They recorded it, oh. but you know, they oh, edit okay. stuff and whatnot, but no, it's, it's definitely, uh, definitely cool. If you ever wanted to know the behind the scenes stuff that happens at a zoo, it's uh, definitely check it out. Um, so, yeah. Anything else going on with you? Nah, just trying to get settled in and get everything going and ready. Uh, I think the first female is going to drop eggs in the next couple weeks. She looks very uncomfortable, very large. Um, she's not due till probably the second week of March, but I don't think she's going to last that long. So we will see. And what's this girl? Uh, this is a tiger female that I got at Tinley because Howard had her on his table 
and near the end of Tinley, I'm like, what are you doing with that tiger? And then he put it in a bag and gave it to me and then walked away. So that's how I got her. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Yeah, Fair I enough. I, I do, yeah, I know. I uh, bred her to my red tiger male, um, who was apparently nice. breeding with everything this year. So, yeah, I mean, there'll be a nice little batch of tigers. I enjoy that. And right. uh, on the heels of that come everything else, the super caramel, the caramel. Um, and then I was totally not believing anything happened with the olive pythons, but my female is like hugging the water bowl. Like it's going to run away on her. And uh-huh. uh, I saw the male spurring her the other day. So I don't know what's going on in that cage. So I'm cautiously optimistic, but I don't want to talk about it because I'll jinx it. So. Uh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, <clears throat> uh, that'll be cool, man. You'll really be excited then too. If that happens, almost yes, as exciting like, as the rough scales. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> uh, almost cool. as good as roughies. Uh, okay. Let's get Dave on. Let's get this going. Let's talk some scrubs. Cool. Hey Dave, welcome back to Morelli Python radio. Glad to have hey, you. Hey, how's it going? Good. All right. Good. Good. So, uh, Dave, it's been a while since you've been on the show. Uh, why don't you tell us kind of what you've been up to with your collection and with your scrubs and all that fun stuff? Any uh, looks like you recently added a bunch of new animals. Well, everything I have here right now is actually new. I, um, as okay. many of you know, I, I stepped out for a while. Uh, had to take care of a few things, and honestly, I. I Got a little burned out. The collection had gotten mm-hmm. too large and was taking over way too much of my time. So I took a little bit of a break and kind of reconfigured my life. Uh, completely changed careers. I'm now doing some trade stuff and going to school most of the time, uh, along with working full time. So don't have a lot of time for much else, but somehow managed to squeeze scrubs back in. Okay. <laughs> So I'm actually enjoying it quite a bit now. I really, really miss it. Good. That's awesome. So uh, can you give us kind of a quick overview of, you know, what do you have? Like what kind of scrubs you have and how many? Um, I guess the collection's in its 20s. I guess there's about 23 or so here right now. Um, We've got about 10 bar necks of uh, different localities. We've got Lamina. Uh, let's see what else do we have here. We've got a very odd uh, Bioc locality, which are look absolutely nothing like what I had previously. Okay. We've got, <laughs> we've got some Highland animals here, uh, patternless southerns. Wow. Uh, Let's see. I know I'm forgetting something here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll, it'll come to me at some point. But okay. <laughs> no, no, that, that's so, a good start, though. So, uh, are these two animals? That's or, what it. Okay. I'm so, uh, oh, do I know yeah. that Kofayo? Because if I yes, do, actually, it's, you, oh, it's, it's been I'm here so and. <laughs> I think it's been here a total of four times. It's 
gone off to see other people and somehow always manages to come back. Wait, Owen, is this the one that I had for a yes. while? Yeah. <laughs> wow. We've all had I it. Am sorry. <laughs> That's the problem. Uh, I think I'm going to have to name it well, Boomerang because it just keeps coming back. Done. 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 There you go. Done. That's fantastic. But it's like, uh, uh, it's a gorgeous animal. It's a gorgeous animal. But, I mean, we could never find anything to pair with it because you couldn't find a Kofi to go with it. So that's why I kept bouncing around, I think. I mean, I'm glad it's with you, Dave, and hopefully you can, you know, fill in the gap with it and produce some more horribly mean-tempered little babies. So (laughs) We've got a very, very melanistic animal here that's showing some characteristics that it may be a, a mate for it. Uh gonna do a little more investigation with that, but the animal's almost completely black. Wow. That's that's cool. That's cool. That would be cool. That would be awesome. So I mean obviously you've had all these new additions and and, and you were out of it for a little bit and you've come back in. Um what are your thoughts on how the scrub community has grown um, since the last time you were on this show. I mean, we, we've talked about it, how it seemed kind of small and a little niche, and there are about three or four people who are really taking it seriously. Have you seen any kind of growth in the scrub community since then? You know, I'm not really sure. If anything, it seems to have shrunk a little bit. Um, I guess there's uh, more people that have, you know, one or two, but Mm-hmm. A lot of the a lot of the guys that had multiple animals or a you know sizable collection have just kind of evaporated. So um, it's a little little heartbreaking to see that, but yeah, yeah, I could I just, could definitely see that or see that. I was uh I was so I was so happy when I saw that you were getting back into scrubs Dave because you know you've been successful with them so you know it kind of I don't know I felt like the species or the complex uh kind of had a shot again I guess you know what I mean cuz I'm kind of with you there's like people that have a pair of this or a pair of that but not like the level that you and a few other people were on it was it was pretty impressive, you know, to working with that many scrubs. What was your collection? What was the size of your collection again before you you kind of left? At one thing at one single time, uh, including uh, babies I had hatched out, it was over mm-hmm. two hundred. It was wow, quite impressive, but also uh, very overwhelming. So wow, yeah. <laughs> I could I could see that. What is feeding wow. day like when you have 200 scrubs? <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> it's, it's, um, I don't know if there's an adrenaline rush out there that can quite top that. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Wow. So obviously now uh, I'm kind of hoping that, you know, David, you jumping back in here and you getting kind of situated with a bunch of different locales of scrub. Because uh, you know, are these juvenile adult animals? So I mean, some of them are going to be breeding soon. I mean, are you going to take a shot at breeding in the next year or so? Yeah, I think uh, next season I'll have I'll have several things that'll 
be ready to go. There's a few uh, animals that I need to, or a few localities I need to pick up some mate for here and there. Uh, actually, here a week or so ago, maybe it's been more like two weeks, uh, just for the heck of it, I took a female and threw it in with a male to just kind of see what would happen. And within an hour, they were locked up. So that was that was kind of cool. Yeah, Certainly not cool. not expecting anything from that. You know, wasn't didn't have time to prepare cycling and all that good stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, the to see a lock was was kind of fun. That is cool. Yeah, that's 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 awesome. Um, is it just the barnecks that you're working with now, or do you have any of the other other species? I'm, I'm just working with Amethystina at this time. Um, okay, that's really where my passion's been, and uh, I think that's where it's gonna gonna stay right now. I'm not saying I'm not gonna pick up some Moluccans down the road, maybe, or some Malta or some Hamaharas, but you know, right now I want to concentrate on the uh, Amethystina and, you know, really with the locality. So I want to try to at least get a pair from each locality and see what I can do with each individual locality as far as breeding goes. Okay. That would cool. be very cool. Yeah. So, well, first, well, I have a couple questions as a, regarding localities of stuff, but um, first, I mean, what did you think about when they moved scrubs out of Morelia? I mean, are you in agreement with that? I think I think that's the consensus, but what's your feelings? Well, I when that paper came out was about the time I was uh, getting out of scrub, so I really haven't mm-hmm. taken the time to review it. And um, so I really don't have any comment at this time on that. I'd like to, you know, spend some time reviewing that uh, paper and see where they were coming from with that and you know, kind of go from there. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. I think the only one that I don't know how you feel, Owen, but the one that kind of took me as strange was the Owen Pelly's Python getting lumped in there with the scrubs and the Bowens. It was kind of, I didn't understand that, but. Well, I, unfortunately I don't know enough about Owen Pelly to disagree with it. I, I kind of have to err on the side of caution that the people who made that yeah. decision have actually studied. Of course, I'm <laughs> them, I might be giving them way too much credit, and they well, might have just decided this. So, um, Publisher didn't write know. the paper, so, I mean. I know, I know, but. <laughs> but. No, I got you. I got gotcha. you. they did the research, so I, I have to err on that side of caution. But, I, again, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, three years down the road we're talking about how they've taken Owen Pelly and chucked it either into its own thing back into Morelia to hell if I know well, what they're going to do with taxonomy. Well, I mean, who would have thought that Tannen Bars and King Horneye are the closely, most closely related to each other? I would never would have guessed that, yeah. you know, but <laughs> no, yeah, but what are you going to do? All right. So localities. Um, so I'm curious on your thoughts of like how we keep this stuff straight. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I, my thought was is that I don't know what your thought is, but I would imagine that scrubs maybe one day will fall in where chondros fall, where they're separated by species between northerns and southerns. And what do you, what do you think about all that kind of stuff? Well, I, honestly, I think that's way above my pay grade. Um, 
somebody else can figure all that kind of stuff out. I, I really don't don't care one way or the other. Um, okay. I, I certainly I certainly see some differences in the in the Barnecks, say from the the Southerns and uh, you know the Waminas and stuff, but I mean. Anybody that wants to come down and count scales on my scrubs and take some <laughs> samples and stuff to figure that out, you know, you're welcome to do that. But, uh, Be my guest. Exactly. I don't know if I have a bl- enough blood in my body to, <laughs> to to go about that. Okay. Uh, so. Fair enough. So, so but you know, oh, go ahead. As far as the localities, I mean, that's kind of open in Pandora's box uh, with, Mm. I mean, you want to talk about getting into some drama with that, but uh, certainly um, if you weren't there to, I mean, this goes, you hear this stuff all the time, you know, well, you don't know where it came from unless you were there and you collected it yourself and so on and so forth and blah, 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 blah. Uh, I think that we can agree that, you know, they've got their locality names from, the airports that they flew out of uh, in those mm. cases. And we know that that is widely inaccurate. I mean, if you go to Wamina and you try to find some scrubs, you're probably not going to find anything. Um, you know, and what we know of is the Wamina scrub is uh, actually found um, more closer to Jayapura and that open area between the mountain ranges, but um, you know, I've, I have pictures from people that have been there and can give me a, a pretty good idea of where they photograph those animals. And, you know, that gives me kind of an idea. But will the Wamina type ever, you know, will, will that name ever change to something else? Uh, I don't know. It might be a little late for that. But, uh, right. you know. Well, don't you kind of think like, I mean, with chondros, it's, it's just like with, like what you said with locality and stuff. Don't you think that that name, regardless of whether it came from that exact spot or not, it, it, it sort of shows a certain phenotype. So meaning that if you have what's called a Wamina and you have another one that looks just like it, you know, wouldn't, I mean, isn't that what matters rather than knowing Absolutely, and that's what I do with my pairings is, you know, if you're getting something off of an import list, you don't know how many times that's changed hands, uh, did mm-hmm. something get put in the wrong bag that was labeled, you know, who knows. Um, but I take animals that look uh, as close to one another as possible for my pairings. Uh, I look at a number of different features on on scrubs before I pair them to, you know, really try to keep the locality type as, as pure as possible. Um, certainly there's going to be some hit and misses, you know, down the road. Um, things are going to change. We're going to, you know, find new information. But, uh, you know, right now if I'm going to pair some animals, say Waminas, I'm going to take two Waminas that look relatively close and I'm going to uh, pair those animals together. Is there different uh, localities of Waminas? I'm sure that there is. Is there some variance in in the animals within uh, a region? Absolutely. But um, 
unless you're pairing siblings that were, you know, wild caught, you know, or captive hatched, it's going to be impossible to to know exactly, you know, which animal came from exactly which area. But, you know, all we can do yeah. now is, you know, use a educated guess and, and do the best that we can with what we've got. Right. Um, well, it's know, not by, even by really no studied. Means, yeah, exactly. But, um, I mean, I'm certainly not, uh, you know, one of these guys that, well, I'm going to take a, you know, this bar neck over here and then I'm going to put it in with a southern over here. I mean, they're all Amethystina, right? What's the big deal? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, there are some people that don't see a problem with that. And, you know, they're their animals, each their own, I guess. But, um, you know, it's my my goal to certainly keep a certain look, you know, with locality type, um, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. Okay, cool. I mean, um, I, I I think that's the probably, I mean, that's the hard thing with scrubs to a certain extent is like if you're working with one and you get, you know, one of the certain sex, you know, it's, sometimes you might be waiting a while until you get something else that comes along that, mm-hmm. I mean, before the show we were, to, or, you know, we were talking about, uh, well, no, we, I mean, that just happened the Kofi Owl, um, where you were talking about, you know, how it switched hands and not having a mate and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that kind of, I don't know, makes it difficult sometimes so you just wait. It's just patience, I guess. Scrubs are uh, (laughs) patients, right? Um, Yeah. So, okay. Um, I think, uh, so, yeah, we kind of talked about the Wamina and all that. Um, What, for those who don't know, what are the characteristics of a Wamina? Like, what are the things that you would look at that you would see that would make you say that's a Wamina as opposed to Uh, a giant poor? Well, there, there's a, a kind of a trick question there because back in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, if you got an animal in that was labeled as a Wamina, it would have a certain look, which is they typically have a peachy orange uh, belly, uh, dark on the top, kind of a I've heard it described as a spider web type pattern. Um, very heavily banded tail with black and, and brown. Um, now, some, and if you got a Jayapura back around that same time, it was a called a barnack. Somehow, in the last uh, 10 years or so, it kind of switched. Well, I don't even switch, but you would see Jayapuras on an import list, and you go, okay, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to pick up those Barnecks, and you would open your bag, and here's this thing that we were calling a Wamina, and it's like, well, what the heck? This isn't what I ordered. Right. <laughs> Great. So, uh, you know, that's that's where some, some issues could, you know, come in. And my best guess with that is, uh, that maybe there's a coastal variety, which is the the barnet type, and the more inland or the Wamina type. That's my the best thing I can figure with that. 
Okay. That makes sense. Um, here's a here's another question that I got that I a couple people had asked when they hear a rue type one and a rue type two. Can can you talk a little bit about that? What that what's that mean? I'm not completely convinced that there is an Aru type two. Okay. I, <laughs> okay. I, honestly, I honestly believe, um, you know, we label um, the southern varieties as, you know, either southern or a Maruk Maruki, however you want to pronounce that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually believe that there are many different types of localities through the uh, – the southern region. I've seen animals that exhibit very high yellows. Some animals are very dark. And I think the Aru type 2 is just another variation of, of a southern locality. That's my guess. I mean, until somebody uh, shows me something different, that's kind of what I'm sticking with. But at the same token, there's like 99 islands that make up Aru. So yeah, certainly, <laughs> I was just going to say that. Yeah. There could be a uh, you know, there may be just a different type coming off of a different island. So, um, you know, I'm certainly open to that, but just with what I've seen, I it fits more with a, a mainland animal that just somehow got labeled along the way as a, a type 2 Aru. Right. <clears throat> right. Okay. I, I have yet to see a, a an import list or a bag that's come in saying Aru type two. <laughs> and again, you know, there's, there's that whole, you know, that whole thing where bags get reused all the time. Bags get mislabeled. I mean, I've, I've picked up bags that will say, you know, have something completely different than what's in the bag. So uh, right. did, was there a bag that had Aru written on it and somebody stuck on, you know, a scrub in it that happened to be a, a, a Southern variety and, Somebody said, "Oh, this is a a type two Aru," <laughs> and that's just, and it kind of stuck. I, right? Yeah, who knows? But uh, um, I mean, there's certainly different possibilities, and I'm open to to hearing arguments on that. But for me personally, I'm just not I'm not convinced that at this time, anyway. I mean, they're so completely different. I mean, they share a little bit of coloration, but pattern and everything is completely different. Right. You would right. kind of expect that they would have a little more similarities being that close, but mm. right. Um, okay, I have. Uh, so, what about the? Uh, are you still working with uh, Beox? Are you still working with those guys? I am, but it's a completely those? different type. It's okay, a completely different type than what I've owned before. The original pair that I had was. Uh, as the story goes, was a pair that was imported by Dave and Tracy Barker that was um, a gravid female had given had produced a collection captivity and uh, mm. some of that collection got imported into the U.S. Um, at first glance, those animals do show some similarities to the southern varieties, and again, that could just be a, a Female had been mislabeled somewhere along the line, and that is a, another southern um, locality. Uh, but there was some some pretty decent differences between those and most uh, of the southerns I've seen. But 
these animals that I have here are completely different than any other scrub. I mean, they're totally different. They've wow. got, uh, I guess, most closely they look to the Wamina type, um, except they've got lots of gold coloration in them. Um, their pattern is even completely different, but the the banding on the tail is, is a little similar. Um, they've got – the tips of their tongues are almost yellow. And huh. their their nose is, is yellow, um, but just, like I say, completely different. I mean, to me, it's, a, it's like a new uh, locality of scrub. I just – and and these came out a, a few years ago, just kind of, um, you know, we saw several several of them ported into the U.S. and in Europe. Um, they were kind of all over the place. I say all over. You know, there wasn't a great number of them, but you saw people mm-hmm. posting pictures of them from all around the world, and then they just kind of disappeared. So, huh. not sure. Wow. Not sure what's going on with that. Again, there's two main islands that make up Biak, and then there's some other smaller islands. So certainly there's, you know, the Biaks that I was familiar with, um, and these could have um, come from two completely different islands. There could have been a mix-up with the originals, and like I say, they could have come from some locality in the, uh, some, you know, as a southern race, but... Again, that they're just at this point they're just names, <laughs> right? <Okay. laughs> right. You know. Wow. So, <clears throat> my uh, my last locality question is, as far as the Highland stuff, I mean, do you look at that? Do you really think that there's scrubs up in the Highlands, or do you think that that that's another one of those things where uh, somebody came along and gave it this name because? <laughs> They know that we like that. Well, I don't think that they are, you know, in the really highlands, you know, where you okay. know like Boland's territory. I don't think you're going to find them in Boland's territory. So I think that they're much lower in altitude, but certainly okay. along that mountain range, there definitely seems to be several different locality types uh, through that mountain range. You know, most people they see a. Uh, a highland animal that's got the orange on the sides, and you know it's an hospital. Or again, right. uh, probably butchering that name. Um, <laughs> but uh, and then here recently, some I've seen some labeled as Tamika, but Tamika isn't even an, uh, a highland <laughs> <laughs> right uh, area. So um, a little confused by that. But even back in the uh, early '90s, when you saw saw these animals on a import list they were called either orange barred uh, scrubs and the black okay. barred being the uh, black barnacks we're familiar with or they were called orange mountain scrubs so hmm. I certainly believe that these animals are coming from a higher higher elevation I, I'm, I can only guess at what the altitude would be um, I'm, I'm certainly lower than Boland and uh, certainly higher than you know than the than the mainland, but uh, where so, exactly? Uh, <clears throat> who knows? So, right. So I guess my question would be: When keeping them, do you, are you going to keep them differently than your other amethystinas? Probably not. Uh, I know in Europe the Highland uh, animals have been 
produced in captivity uh, pretty regular. I don't even want to say regularly. I know there's been multiple clutches of those, so I don't think that there's going to be any real difficulties uh, in getting them to uh, reproduce in captivity. Um, certainly, if okay. I start having issues, then maybe I'll adjust you know, some, some things, but right now I'm keeping them just like I keep everything else. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Cool. Very cool. Just because they have some orange on their sides, I mean, they can look, <laughs> if they look completely different in, in pattern and uh, the other coloration, um, I'm going to try to find a mate that's more fitting uh, to those animals and just say, well, I've got two that have got orange on the side, so let's throw them together and see what happens. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Make more babies with orange. Yeah, that's pretty much what, yeah. I got you, but uh, since we're starting to kind of hit on some keeping, uh, how do you keep uh, the scrubs at your new place? I assume when you got out of it, you had to, you sold off all your cages and stuff like that, so you had to get back into it with all new stuff. Um how did you set up the new rooms? Um, I was actually very fortunate. Uh, Ryan uh-huh. Norris is an incredible guy, and uh, I've been mentoring him uh, a little bit when I got out. It was my way of kind of keeping in with the scrubs, so I, I shared mm-hmm. information with him, and he was sharing information with me, and we kept in touch and actually uh, uh, started a uh, really strong friendship uh, and he said, hey, you know, I've got all this extra caging. Uh, if you want to meet me halfway, uh, they're yours. So uh, that helped out a lot. I started, you know, before that offer came, I started uh, building some melamine cages that back in the mid-'90s, there was a company called Cage Master. And at mm-hmm. the, let's see, it wasn't Harvard of Grace back then. I believe it was Aberdeen was where the show was and okay i had picked up one of these cages at at that show and just always thought it was the neatest cage i've got friends that still have some of those cages all these years later and they basically still look brand new they're easy to clean they hold humidity great uh hold temperature great so i thought i'd try my hand at putting together a few of those cages so i started doing that then um, got a few of them built, got the cages that Ryan offered to me. So that helped out a lot. I didn't have to go out and buy all brand new stuff. Um, certainly had to go buy new water bowls and some of the other various stuff, but, um, so it wasn't completely from scratch, luckily. Yeah. But I, I keep the room that I've got all the scrubs in at, uh, about an 85 degree ambient temperature right now because mm-hmm. it's, uh, it would be my normal cooling season. I don't have any ambient heat at all. Uh, this spring and summer, I will adjust some temperatures a little bit. Uh, they'll have a, you know, probably the high is going to be around 88 to 89. Um, low is going to be around 85. But in the winter time, you know, during cooling season, I won't hesitate for, you know, to keep them in the, at 75 at night. Uh, occasionally I'll drop them down into the uh, low, or not, I don't want to say low, but the uh, upper 60s, even to about 65 degrees. And as long as they have a chance to warm back up during the day, you're not going to have any mm-hmm. issues with them. 
with them at all. And that's actually when I, I tend to notice most of my locks is when I, when I do that sharper temperature drop. Right. Um, how are you heating the cages? Do you say are you stick ambient heat, uh, radiant heat panels or bulbs or? I, I heat the whole room. I, I don't have any room? supplemental heat in, in each individual oh. cage. Okay. Cool. Um, and they seem to be thriving with that. I used to used to have uh, heat for each individual cage, um, mm-hmm. and then I tried tried you know heating the whole room. And honestly, they do so much better uh, heating the whole room than each individual cage. That's interesting. I mean, that would be <coughs> something I would consider, I and mean, that's uh, it's got to be easier on the electric bill. Um, so. Um, well, it's not easier on the keeper because I can tell you when you walk into the room when it's 85 degrees with uh, 55 to 60 percent humidity, it's it's like walking into a sauna. So working in there is uh, is a little warm, but the scrubs seem to love it. So, so Dave, you have to go into an 85 degree room and dodge very large, angry pythons um, when you keep and clean these things. So and you think that people more people are going to get into scrubs? It's like this, I don't know. I don't know what you're trying to get here. But, uh, Dave, I'm, maybe it's I'm, just you. I'm curious what made you what made you switch to that type of um, heating? Like what made you go to that from what you did before? I just got tired of constantly replacing light bulbs and chasing mm-hmm. heating ah. issues and moving the you know cages and stuff getting unplugged and uh, you know probes going bad on thermostats and uh, right just gotcha th- that's the type of stuff that you know can aggravate you when and instead of being able to enjoy keeping them can you know get you frustrated and make it less less fun so i try to keep everything as simple as possible and it's easier to uh, for cycling, you know, when I want to uh, do a night drop, I don't have to go around to each individual cage and adjust thermostats, and I can just drop the whole room. And I, I right. do that with my hatchlings too. I don't, um, you know, I I don't see any reason why you can't cycle the younger younger snakes with the the breeders. Now, when I and had, they, they, go ahead, go ahead. No, um, I was going to say, what... you know. I don't feed any of my scrubs during the uh, cool cycling period, so okay, and that okay. includes the the younger scrubs. Um, and I haven't I've seen zero issues, you know, even with the the young scrubs. With you know, there's never had a respiratory infection. Um, everybody picks up feeding. There's no real measurable loss in in weight. So I mean, it works. So that's what I do. Right. Yeah, good. <clears throat> if you're having success, keep with it. Um, it's funny, yeah, like when I first got my uh, my Moluccan scrubs, I was talking with Blake Bauer, and he was telling me that, you know, he didn't keep any supplemental heat on them at all. And I was, you know, back then I was kind of like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? And he's like, nah, I keep them at about, you know, 84 degrees and just what the room is, you know. Um, huh. So that's interesting. Sorry, Owen. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so when it, when it comes to these guys, like, do you have a, 
uh, misting system, or do you just kind of, if somebody's going to shed, you just hose them down real good when they're blue? Honestly, with keeping the uh, room at between 55 and 60% humidity, and mm-hmm. what I know other uh, species of snakes are like this too, but scrubs really like fresh water. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know some keepers that, well, then there's still water in the bowl, so I'll wait until it dries out before I change it. And it doesn't work well with scrubs. They need fresh water. They're going to drink fresh water. When that water starts to get stagnant, they're not going to touch it. Uh, right. And I, I think that that can cause some shedding issues because they need to be as uh, hydrated on the inside as, uh, you know, say on the outside with the humidity. But I haven't really had any issues uh, with shedding, even with the humidity down here. I mean, it, uh, I'm sure it's the same up there. You know, it's non-existent this time of year. Right. But uh, everybody's been, been shedding great. I rarely missed anything. I mean, maybe for some uh, breeding trials or something, I may try a little bit of misting or to actually calm down some snakes if I'm introducing a, a pairing. Uh, I may miss both snakes down when I'm when I'm doing that. It seems to settle them a little bit, but yeah, uh, I, I would agree to that. It's um, uh, my gold phase white lips uh, where they don't tend to. They might not like each other, and every once in a while they do kind of get do a little bit of a scrape. But if I miss them down, it's like that settles everybody down and everybody kind of just calms down for like a week. So <laughs> I, it, it's weird. I, I, I never thought about it. I guess I was just spraying them with a the water bottle just to get them to knock it off, and it worked. So, yeah, it's cool. Dave, how are you How are you uh, getting your humidity? Do you have a humidifier set up in the room? or? Yes, i got a whole room humidifier that I've got to – fill up probably twice a day gotcha if you if you miss one of those then you you've lost all your humidity oh so you really wow. gotta really gotta keep on top of it as a matter of fact i'm in the snake room right now and i turned it off so it'd be nice and quiet when i was talking to you guys <laughs> and it's 37 percent right now and so just in in a little bit of time it's it's dropping way down. Wow. Wow. That, that so does is, happen fast. So is, is that important to keeping a scrub python healthy, keeping that humidity up? I believe so. Um, yeah. I've had some scrubs in the past that when the humidity gets low, they'll start wheezing, and you'd almost, if you kept other things, you'd go, oh, my God, it's got a respiratory infection. And <laughs> it's it's – then from the humidity, you raise the humidity, it completely goes away. If it drops back down, they'll start wheezing again and carrying on. So I think that it's important to keep the humidity up. Okay. Very cool. Um, I know you said you don't uh, you don't feed your guys during the winter cycling and stuff like that, but do you keep the same feeding regime that you had the last time you spoke to us, which was uh, babies every 14 days, juveniles, two to three, every two to three weeks, and then adults every four to six weeks? Or have you kind of altered that stuff? I think the juveniles, I'm going to alter that a little bit. Uh, okay. Not seeing the, the growth rate that I expected on some of the stuff. Um, 
but and it also it also depends on the individual animal. Some animals have a higher metabolism and can take a little more meals. Uh, others, I, you know, female biak that I had, she if you fed her, the male and the female would eat the same meal basically, uh, same size prey item. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd feed them at the you know same duration, and the female would just blow up, and the male would was nice and lean, so I had to adjust a little bit for that. I gave her some smaller meals a little more frequently, which seemed to help her metabolize stuff quicker and would keep the weight off. Where the male, I'd give him a, a larger meal a little less frequently, and uh, he'd maintain a, a nicer weight doing it that way. So it, it it can depend on the individual animal, but uh, certainly. With the juveniles, I would not feed any more than uh, every 14 days. Okay. And and, mm-hmm. and again, you want to prey item that's uh, leaving a, a slight bulge, but not a real noticeable lump. I I see a lot of people just, you know, they'll have a a snake that's you know six foot and then make them like a three pound rabbit. I, I don't <laughs> oh, see <God>. any <laughs> any reason to to do that with any. Animals certainly they're capable of doing it in the wild, but in the wild it's that's what came along at the time. Uh, right. You know, in captivity we've got a little more control over over that sort of thing. If anything, you, you're, you're uh, setting yourself up for a snake to regurge doing that. Right. I mean, uh, do you do you practice any kind of varied diet? I know with my scrubs here or the scrub. Uh, um, it's we kind of do small rats and then maybe uh, a chick or a quail every once in a while. Um, have you have, do you vary the diet with a bird or anything like that to kind of keep them a little bit on the slimmer side, or you just kind of space out the feedings uh, to keep them that nice body type? I, I vary the the feeding or the the prey types just because I feel in the in the wild they're taken advantage of the different opportunities that come along with, you know, birds and rodents. Uh, so mm-hmm. I try to mimic a little bit of that in captivity. Uh, I think it's important for their diet because they're getting different things from the different prey items. Um, you'd be surprised. A lot of people that breed rabbits are more than happy to give you uh, any of the rabbits that don't make the cut, whether they're breeding them for human consumption, for uh, training hunting dogs or show rabbits or pet rabbits. It's real common for the moms to, you know, especially their first time to kick, kick a litter out on the uh, wire in the wintertime and the babies will freeze or they, the mother just won't take care of them. And, you know, I contact a lot of the rabbit breeders in, in my area and I'm like, you know, if you don't mm-hmm. mind, keep those for me and I'll, I'll purchase them from you. And most of them are more than happy to, to give them to you because they don't have to dispose of them at that time. They'll uh, find a little spot in the freezer and when they get a, you know, say a gallon size uh, bag full of, of those, they'll give you a call and you go pick them up. So, and those are nice and lean, uh, you know, for your smaller scrubs. Uh, I'll do rats. Uh, I've done chicks and quail. You know, I mix it up from time to time. Very cool. Um, I guess they don't really mind because I imagine as a rabbit breeder, 
um, getting rabbits to breed is not very hard, and I'm pretty sure they'll just keep going and produce many babies. So I, I can see why they wouldn't really care too much about kicking exactly. over a bunch of baby rabbits. Yeah. So lucky them. Um, when it comes to scrubs being, let's say, shy, um, you know, in your experience, have you ever uh, just had to leave a prey item in a cage, or is it like food's here? All of a sudden, that shy scrub isn't so shy anymore. It, it depends on the individual animal. Uh, take okay. Eric's Hamahara. When I first got her in, I tried feeding her everything I could, expecting that she wanted something live, because she was uh, a fresher import, and I was concerned about her eating. Could not get mm-hmm. her to eat anything. As you know, one of the last ditch effort things that I did was put a frozen thawed rat in the bottom of her cage uh, and left it overnight. You know, and she took it immediately. But she wanted to. If you put right. it in there and hung around in the room where the lights were on, she wouldn't take it. And it took her. Finally, she came around and wasn't as shy. But uh, yeah, again, the end. It's. I can't say that amethystina like it this way, hama hairs are this way, but individual right. scrubs. Some scrubs will literally launch out of the cage at you to, to grab a rat, and others you might just have to, to toss it in there. Some of my older animals that I had previously had gotten so used to frozen and thawed you know, rats and rabbits and stuff that I could put it on the tongs, and they would just come up ever so gently and take it off the tongs and just start swallowing it. Wouldn't wrap. No, no, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'd ever attempt this, but I, I swear I could have hand-fed those things. They oh, were just so God, gentle, man. taking, you know, taking the rat off the tongs. There was no uh, aggression or you know that feeding response that you expect the scrubs. It was almost lazy, you know. Right. Right. Well, I got a I got a question. When when you're getting these um, captive hatched or wild caught animals in. Is there any like go-to trick that you use to try to get them to eat? Like, do you, do you start off with live, or do you? What's usually your process? Typically, I will attempt a frozen thawed first time. I'll put it in their tub uh, overnight. Don't seem to have a tremendous amount of success with newly acquired scrubs, especially if they're, you know, wild caught or or captive hatched doing any type of tease feeding it just it seems to stress them out so i'll just right you know put a prey item in the bottom of their you know frozen thawed i don't even warm it up above room temperature i let them fall i'll put them in there um and kind of wait and see what happens the first night if i don't get anything with that then i might try a fresh pre-killed or a different type of prey item last resort i'll try live um and in my uh, when I was breeding and hatching stuff out, I, and I think we talked about this before, uh, had animals that just refused to feed. And as you know, kind of like okay, these guys are either gonna make it or they're not. I was placing a order for some other scrubs, and I saw on the list that they had some uh, house geckos, so I ordered a whole bunch of those things and mm-hmm. I took you know again I knew that this was a you know either they're going to die or, or this is going to work 
Uh, so I put the house geckos in their little tubs for all these non-feeders, and I mean, it was instantly they were feeding on these house geckos. Uh, so that presented a whole new problem because now I had to. I'm sure Break those house geckos were just full of all oh. of parasites. Yeah. But um, they made it. I was able to uh, get rid of any parasites that they may have had. Eventually, had them switched over to uh, feeding on more normal uh, prey. But just shows, you know, these things. I mean, they weren't even recognizing anything else as a prey item. They wouldn't um, tongue flick at it or, you know, check it out in any way. It was like you just set a rock in their cage. And the second I put those house geckos in there, they were all over them. Yeah, that's actually, interesting. I, I, I had to do the same thing with my Dominican red mountain boas. Is they wouldn't eat anything but house gecko, and then you had to break them of house gecko by getting them on this house gecko scented rodents, and then they would finally eat the rodents. And it was just adding a whole nother step to getting them ready to go. So, but and it's, one of the little tricks I found was that. It, a little bit easier with the the scrubs because they when they're young they like to perch. Uh, mm-hmm. Kept all my hatchlings in little six quart Sterilite tubs, and the particular tubs that I had have a had a perfect little slot on either side of the latch for the top where you could put a uh, a dowel rod or uh, do like I did, take a plastic clothes, hang, clothes hanger and uh, cut it down and put it on there. So it gave them a nice little place to perch. Take a frozen and thawed hop on the bottom. Take a, ended up freezing a bunch of house geckos to use, mm-hmm. and they don't seem to mind whether they're frozen or live. And you take a frozen house, frozen thawed house gecko, stick it on top of that hopper. They would strike down to grab the house gecko. Most of the time, would grab the hopper at the same time, and would easily convert over to mice within, you know, two, three, four feedings. Uh, occasionally, yeah. they would just get the house gecko but the scent was still on the uh the hopper so most of them would go back and eat the hopper after the house gecko so that was a cool little trick that is a nice trick uh i i resorted to thawing uh the house geckos in the water with the hoppers and that seemed to be enough to get the dominicans to eat so i did not have to resort to that but hey that that does sound awesome, but since we were also talking about uh, perching, how important is perching for scrubs? Um, is it something that they kind of require, and does it vary from uh, the different species of how important it is to them? I certainly don't think it's required. Um, okay. Because I was successful breeding without any uh, perches. The closest thing I had to a perch was would be their hide box, which was a Rubbermaid tote turned upside down with a hole cut in the side of it, and they would perch mm-hmm. on top of it. Um, <laughs> I've I've tried perches over the years, and I'll probably end up putting some perches in these uh, larger cages at some point. But I can tell you that in if you've got more than say two scrub pythons, you're going to spend a whole lot of time trying to wrestle these snakes out of their cage and off their perch, especially <laughs> if you've got a, a sub-adult animal. Um, I mean, it's nice to have a nice uh, naturalistic cage. 
Um, I've tried that too. It, again, if you're keeping more than a couple of scrubs, it's, it mm. becomes very time consuming. Um, I, I tend to keep my cages kind of basic, you know, hide box, water dish, these beautiful cages that I got from Ryan that were, uh, he kind of designed, um, got a nice perch or a nice, um, shelf on the back. And these are mm-hmm. uh, animal plastics cages. They're really well, well made. I've got some nice LED lighting in the top, but the, some of them will utilize that shelf. Others totally ignore it. And, you know, it's been my experience, even with perches, some scrubs like to perch, some don't, doesn't seem to make a difference with uh, species or locality type. It's just uh, the individual animal's preference. Does that apply to babies as well? Or is that something like with carpet, sometimes perching is a way to get them to go uh, to feed? And with the with the uh, hatchlings, I do offer purchase. It's a little bit easier to do it in you know, sterilite tubs and you know in a cage. <laughs> you can reach, yeah, right. reach right in and you know pull the pull the snake yeah, out on the perch really if tiny. you want. You try doing that with an pull adult scrub in a cage. It's it's not yeah. going to work. But you know, I try with the younger scrubs. I try to make them as comfortable as possible. As far as I mean, they're typically very shy. They like smaller enclosures. I just can't tell you how many uh, calls I get from customers that I sold a baby to that, oh, this thing won't feed. What's going on? And uh, I learned real quickly to ask what size cage they had put this thing in. And, you know, I put it in this huge cage and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Um, Let's scale down the caging a little bit and let me know if they resume feeding. And every single time they would resume feeding, no, no problems. Um, right. But they've just gone from from being in such a, a you know a small, comfortable uh, tub into this you know huge giant cage, and you know, it just stressed them out way too much. Yeah, you know that's a good point that you bring up. I think a lot of times people don't acclimate. I I guess it would go for any snake really, but you know, especially with these more sensitive stuff, I mean, shouldn't there be a, an acclimation between say, say I get a snake from Owen and he does it different than I do. You know, there should be sort of an acclimation point to where you sort of get them into your, don't just like put them into your, the way you do it, sort of mimic what they came from and slowly adjust it. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And, and and again, you know, individual animal preference. Some animals like a more uh, constraint, constrained cage where others like to, you know, don't mind roaming around. I, I've had some animals that would just, even older animals that would completely stressed out if you put them in a bigger cage. Um, you know, certainly I'm not talking about putting a, an adult animal in a little you know, 12 quart tub uh, where it can't even turn around. Uh, but sometimes some of the more uh, fragile specimens would do better in a in a cage. It's just little little on the smaller side, which you would normally feel comfortable. They may grow out of that, and they may, they may not. But uh, sometimes you do more damage by trying to put them in a bigger cage uh, when they when they stress real easy. 
Right. Got. Gotcha. I, okay. I think that's true with most snakes, though. I mean, uh, numerous times I've gotten a call from somebody who I sold a snake to the next day, and they're like, it won't eat. And I'm like, well, what are you doing? And they said, well, we tried offering it food four times, and we put it in a 45-gallon long aquarium. And I'm like, it is a hatchling. It was in a <laughs> six-quart it was in a six quart tub. Leave it alone and get it something smaller. So you know that's that. I think it's happened. I think with the scrubs is baby scrubs are bigger and they're such an impressive animal that people naturally want to have it in like a big cool setup where they can admire the thing. And it kind of seems to be their could be their downfall. So absolutely. Okay. Um, all right, let's, let's talk a little bit about breeding. Um, so we had a couple of questions that came in, one from Graham and his question was, what are the optimal temps for breeding and how did you manipulate the conditions to cycle them? Well, optimal, I really don't know at this point because I use such a wide range of temperatures, um, during the three years that I was breeding and was successful. Um, my goal now is to try to narrow the windows down and find out more about what works and what doesn't work. But I've found that sharp temperature drops during your cooling season, you know, at night tend to uh, stimulate more breeding activity. Um, you know, certainly like with, you know, most any other species, you can watch the barometric pressure and, and so forth and do some introductions uh, with that. But really, the for me, the, the sharper temperature drops, um, you know, for at night during the cooling season. And again, this isn't something that you want to do every night by any means. You know, one night a week, two nights a week, maybe where you bring them into the lower 70s or maybe even into the 60s a little bit. And then, uh, you know, bring the temperature back up during the day. You know, I've seen more more activity doing that than most anything else. Uh, but, again, my goal now is to to try to narrow that window a little bit and see see if we can find out what exactly they're, they're looking for. Okay. In the past, you've taken it down pretty cold when you dropped them? Oh, yeah. I've dropped them all the way down to the low 60s. It's not something I've done often, but, um, you know, kind of testing the boundary, so to speak, to, you know, see if if there would be any ill effects. Um, but I, I haven't found any. I'm um, certainly not doing anything that I would, where I feel like I would lose an animal, but scrubs really are hardy, hardy animals. Um you got to do right. something really wrong to to be losing a bunch of scrubs. Gotcha. Now, I, right. I, I, I think I've maybe seen one scrub that was a import that came to me uh, in poor health that had a respiratory infection. I rarely ever see mouth rot in scrubs. Um, Lister disease or whatever people are calling it now seems to be pretty fatal with scrubs. I've had some that have uh, come to me that have been even from just a couple of blisters to being covered and 
they seem to have a pretty high mortality rate. I've only been able to see a a few recover from that. Um, but in my collection and collections that uh, of people I know, I haven't seen anybody have a snake that's gotten blisters, you know, from keeping them too damp or, um, mm-hmm. you know, my, my cages, I'm a little OCD with, with that. So it's not a, a thing where my cages ever have gotten dirty and, um, they've gotten anything, but I mean, they really are a hardy species. It's really hard to, to do something wrong with these guys, but <laughs> at the same token, I don't know when Brian was getting really big into the scrubs, I was calling some of my old customers and emailing old customers to see if they still had some of my offspring and if they wanted to part with them or, um, you know, kind of, and finding out how they were doing and so forth. And I was just, I couldn't believe how many people did some dumb things and, uh, lost those animals. You know, yeah, keeping them way too hot, or you know, I, I just don't know. I, I'm kind of dumbfounded because I'm pretty, pretty uh, careful who I sell to, and you know, I feel people out to make sure that they seem to have an idea of what they're doing. And again, the, the numbers that were coming back to me that of losses after years was just it was sad, really sad, actually. Right. Yeah. Really sad. yeah. Absolutely. Um, so do you do anything as far as um uh like food uh cycling or anything like that? So typically um in October I start uh preparing for the for the cooling season. Um so I'm I don't really change my feeding schedule if I've got a female that looks like she could be a a little on the leaner side. I may offer a little more food, but my goal in October is to kind of get their systems starting to clear out. I start dropping my temperatures in November. Mm -hmm. And when I'm, when I start dropping my temperatures, I begin cycling and I will continue that all the way up until January and in January, I will slowly start raising my temperatures. Um, the females will start to get a very small meal weekly, um, and I'll continue to do introductions with the males. I don't feed my males because the males tend to once they once they get a taste of food, they forget all about breeding. Um, so the males no food until I'm pretty much thrown in the towel with either it's going to take or not going to take, but uh, I'll start feeding the males when I'm, you know, done with the season, so to speak. The females, I'll continue just giving them very small meals weekly until they either show me that they're going to lay eggs or refuse to, to eat, or, you know, I determine that, okay, this isn't going to be the season for that animal, so I'll start, you know, a more regular feeding schedule. But typically gotcha. with the females they'll take they'll take a, a few meals and you'll see a see the ovulation and then they won't won't eat any more after that. Okay. <clears throat> that's uh, yeah, that's interesting cuz I I tried that with my carpets and that worked pretty well. 
It's like, yeah, just small meals. And then boom, it just went right into ovulation. Especially, have you seen it where you didn't think that a female was going to ovulate and then you offering that food, all of a sudden she kicked in? Oh yeah. My best year ever. Um, I had totally, okay, I'm not getting anything this season. And so I just started feeding everybody again. And then it was boom, 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 boom. All these females (laughs) just ovulated. And, you know, it took me back a little bit because I had been waiting all that time to see, you know, signs of, uh, you know, something before I started. You know, I was even holding off on bringing the temperatures back up fully and everything. And I just, I'd given up. And, you know, it's just boom, boom, boom. Like I said, ovulation after ovulation. Right. So, so once the female is ovulated, then you pull the male out of the, of the deal. Do you, do you cycle the male in and out of the cage or is that just, you pair them up and. Yes. I will enter, you know, early in the season, I'll introduce the male um, with the female just to kind of see, you know, feel out whether they're going to be compatible um, and just see if there's, if there's any interest. And typically if I don't see anything in, in three days, I'll go ahead and pull the mail out and give them a break for three days or so, and then try again. If I don't see anything in the first couple of weeks of that, I might give the mail a little bit more time off. Um, certainly as the, the cooling season progresses, I'll do a little, more introductions. If I notice that, hey, these guys are locking up um, pretty regularly, I'll leave the mail in until I, until there's the interest kind of dies off, and I'll pull them, give them a little bit of break, reintroduce, and usually they'll take off again. But I think it's okay. important to to give the mail a little break because some of these guys, I mean, they will just keep going and going and going and going. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Us males, we're like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, I was uh, in preparing for the show, I was trying to look up some info on breeding, and I came across this moreliasnake.com, and they talked about manipulating the lights and the temperature, but they decreased the humidity. Have, have, what do you do with your humidity in the room? And do you do anything with lights? Any cycling with lights? Uh, I actually do. I guess I should have mentioned that uh, before. Uh, so my summer or uh, summer, fall, springtime um, light cycle is about 12 hours, 12 on, 12 off. And when I start my cooling, I start reducing the, the light cycle down to about uh, eight hours of light, you know, with the lights on and then 16 with the lights off. And it's it, I do that slowly, you know, kind of um, with dropping the temperature slowly, so that it kind of finishes up about the same time. And then I do the same thing in reverse uh, when I start heating things back up. But okay. as far as humidity, um, maybe that's one of the things I just got lucky on because uh, since the time I was breeding, I've moved, so this. Where I am now is a little different than the house I was at um, breeding. In that house, it was very difficult to keep humidity in the wintertime, no matter what I did. So 
the humidity was lower in the in the winter time, and I was doing more misting of the cages and stuff like that. Um, but I don't know how much effect humidity is going to have on on breeding these guys. Right. Hmm. Certainly, right now my humidity is at, like I said, fifty-five to sixty percent, and um, the male was more than happy to lock up with the female here a few weeks ago. So. <laughs> <laughs> So, so do you right. think do you think I mean we've talked about this on the show multiple times but do you think that um breeding these more difficult type of species do you think that it has anything to do with them just being comfortable and getting into a cycle whether it's you're cycling with heat or lights or both or uh humidity feeding um, but once that regimen is down that the animals feel comfortable and will breed I mean do you think there's any anything to that? I certainly hope so, because <laughs> if not, I'm going to have to rethink things. <laughs> but, um... Well, what I mean is, like, I think people think that there's, like, a magic formula. And, you know, obviously where you're at, this is working for you. But, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is that I, my feeling with scrubs and bones and stuff like that is white lips would probably be the same that they just need to sort of fall into a rhythm. And once that rhythm happens, they sort of just, well, I mean, they want to reproduce. It's kind of like in their DNA, right? I mean, life wants yeah, to absolutely. reproduce. So one of those I, think things, yeah. I think it's a, probably a little bit of both. I mean, okay. there's, like I say, there's certainly something. Oh, there's triggers. Yeah, triggers. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you want to be able to mimic those triggers. And again, my hope with getting back into this is I can narrow those triggers down a little bit. Because I, right. I produced three years straight, and really the only three years I really tried. Um, the fourth year is when I moved and was basically starting to – I had already unloaded a bunch of animals. So my heart really wasn't in it at that time. Right. Um, but – I really, again, you know, I I think that there are some triggers that you need to reproduce in captivity. Um, I think that, you know, certainly they can be comfortable and they may breed, but at the same time, they could be comfortable and, and may not breed. They're, you may need to, uh, they may need some other type of stimulation to, to kind of trigger that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think maybe I, I said it wrong. What I'm saying is, is exactly what I think you're saying is that it's like you, you pick, like say there's five different things and you get three of them and those three things are enough to trigger the animal to breed, but they have to sort of be comfortable in their, you know, in their cage or whatever, you know, they can't, you can't like an animal that's on edge isn't going to breed. Right. Mm. Well, I see. I don't know if I can completely agree with that because again my best okay. season I had acquired so like I said again November is when I start really getting into my cooling cycle okay. I picked up several adult females and even a couple of males in the August and October range and had okay. those animals produced for me that season holy shit <laughs> wow so that basically just throws a wrench in that. I mean, there yeah. it goes. Well, I'm glad I'm asking these questions because that's kind of Good. important. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Uh, I, I think I've I may have mentioned this before. I can remember actually not with scrubs, but back in my younger years of uh, working at pet stores and so forth, uh, getting orders in. You know, with some of these places, they put multiple snakes in a bag and you know, literally reaching in the bag and pulling them out, and they'd be locked up. <laughs> you would think, think in a situation where they've been on a, you know, UPS truck, bounced around, all that kind of stuff, that that wouldn't be stimulating for them at all. And yet, here you're pulling out these animals that are <laughs> going at it. I mean, <laughs> right. And I, again, huh. To the same thing with those Beox that I had that I really wanted to for those guys to reproduce, I was trying everything. And I could remember that I built this. I mean, these animals were huge. So I had my wife take a great big sheet and make a great big bag. And I put them in there and put them in the back of my Suburban and went driving around <laughs> in hopes oh, that wow. maybe that would do something. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was trying everything at the That's time with terrible. those guys. Jesus. <laughs> Man. <laughs> uh, um, you really wanted them to go. I think it was worth but a try. You know? say that though. I mean, I, I've bred snakes that I've brought to snake shows where it's like, I'll sell this pair. And then at the snake show in the display, they're locked up. And I'm like, I guess I'm not selling this pair. I mean, that's, there's some, totally something to it. So, yeah. Huh. Okay. That's good. Um, what about we didn't talk on this? Do you have an age that you shoot for? Like, what's the age for females and males? It's a little bit more on, you know, males are a little more flexible, um, and that goes with anything. Females, right. I, I'd like to see about six years, uh, but some females just aren't up to size at, at that at that age, so they may take, you know, might be the seventh year before they're ready to go. And it depends on your your feeding and stuff as well. If you've got a female that you've really hammered food to, she could be the size, she may not be the age, and she may be overweight and not do anything for you anyway. Mm -hmm. But typically six years, um, and I kind of use this as a gauge. If you can remember the old yellow wiffle ball bats, the real thin yep. ones, not the great big ones. Yeah, right. that's kind of the the girth that I'm looking for at the absolute smallest. Okay. Now right. with uh, with some that have been slightly bigger than that, they've produced the best clutches I've ever had. I mean, not a single slug, not a single um, partially formed egg. I mean, just the most beautiful eggs you've ever seen in every single one hatch. I've had large females that will produce smaller eggs um, and more slugs. Huh. So it's it's not always, hmm. you know, well, this great big huge female, you know, she's going to give me a bunch of eggs. Probably going to get more eggs, but the eggs tend to be smaller. Um, the babies, of course, are smaller. They You may have a little more issues getting them started feeding and so forth but the those females that were little on the younger smaller side had larger eggs that just didn't have any problems with those with those hatchlings at all getting them to feed or anything like that well i think you touched on this on the first show you were on is probably having an overweight scrub is it's 
for breeding is probably the kiss of death, right? I mean, right. I'm not going to say it's impossible because I've always been surprised when I've said that you're, you know, mm-hmm. if I said something like you're absolutely not going to get any eggs from a great big fat scrub, and then somebody turns around and gets a whole bunch of eggs from a great big fat scrub. <laughs> you know, so. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to be the well, person that's going to say that that's never going to happen. But that female, if you're successful with that, she's probably not going to live very long. It's it's very hard on their bodies to be be overweight. I don't understand, you know, these people that have these retakes and berms that just get them to these massive sizes and these great big blobs. I don't, you know, if people do that with scrubs, I, I think I would cry because there's just no sense in it. I don't see the purpose of it. These these females, you would take a female that most people would look at and think that that, that animal's way too lean to breed. Right. Right. And they're the best, and they're producing the nicest eggs. So. Huh. Again, well, anything's I, possible. Yeah. Right. I would think that you would want the female to be a little bit on the over, not, well, when I say a little bit overweight is that I would think that, that, you know, obviously they need, uh, they need some fat stores, some fat stores to, to produce eggs and be able to go that long without food. But, you know, I, I don't know. Hasn't been my experience. We'll, we'll right. That way. Okay. Um, gotcha. I know I had produced five, or not produced. I'm sorry. I purchased five, uh, Moluccans that were, uh, place had imported a bunch of Moluccans. They, put them into their individual cages and so forth. And they went to go clean this cage one day. And there's this, it was described to me at, there's this little Moluccan python wrapped around five eggs. And Mm. if you looked at the snake, you would say there's no way that that snake laid those five eggs. It said smallest female Moluccan that you could imagine even. I mean, they didn't. If it wasn't for the snake being wrapped around those eggs in that cage by herself, they would have said there's no way that that snake laid those eggs. Right. Huh. Um, and that that was a a, a fresh wild caught animal that just happened to be gravid in the in the transportation process. That's insane. But, you know, which makes huh. me wonder with these people that are uh, have tried their hands at Moluccans, um, maybe they're waiting too long. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of the Moluccans I've seen, Moluccans tend to be heavier bodied anyway, but I think a lot of people keep their Moluccans a little, a little too heavy. And, and again, you know, people with, cause people have had success doing that with other pythons. They think, well, going into the season, I need to feed the female more and get her weight up a little bit. And I don't think that that's necessary. Gotcha. See, that's me right now. I'm just applying what I know, <laughs> what my experience yeah, has been. Other, you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's why it's good to talk to you because I would bet most people that, I mean, it seems like the progression would be if you're into carpets or Borrelia or chondros or something that you would always, you know, a scrub python would be like the next step up. Um and they're not for everybody, but you would, you know, if you want something a little more challenging, you know, that's, I can't think of a better species. Um, 
and I guess you have to sort of think outside the box a little bit. Uh, huh. Um, what about male combat? Yeah. Is that something that if you have a male that's not going? I've played around with it a little bit. Um, I think that it's a risky venture, um, unless you've got a really big cage and you're ready to, to, um, open the door real quick. I I haven't ever, and certainly this is, this is possible. Mm -hmm. My experience is I haven't had any males get so violent with it that they were biting and tearing flesh. Um, they seem to do more of the trying to pin the other one against the side of the cage and kind of um, using their heads as hammers. But um, typically the smaller male will be trying his best to get out of that cage, and if you open the door, he's going to come flying out to get away from that other snake. Now, -hmm. the interesting thing is during the off-season, I can put two males in the cage together, and they'll go curl up together. Huh. So it's just running the girls that, around? Even if there's girls around. If you do that in huh. the uh during the breeding season, most likely they're gonna come back. So it's yeah. almost like they sort of have I guess their hormones kick in, kinda of like what elephants do, right? What do they call that when elephants go into that musk. uh musk? Yeah, that's uh, right. musk. Yeah, they, they like go crazy and flip cars over. Yeah. <laughs> off elephants are a totally different thing there eric a lot more well i'm just anyway yeah i know (laughs) i don't know a scrub shooting out of a cage you know (laughs) that's i can't throw you the length of a football field last time i looked all right No, but they can make you run the length of a football field that's true all of a sudden now You've now sprinted faster than you ever thought possible. But yeah, I got you. As a matter of fact, that that female uh, Kofi Al the other day, I opened her cage and she charged me halfway oh, across the room. Oh, yeah. there, 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 was, there were underlying factors. It wasn't just that we couldn't find a male for her. It was, we can't find a male for her, and I hate her. So it was a lot of things that made her go away. So, uh, you know, that was... There she was wasn't that bad. <laughs> bad with me. So oh that God! I, that I that I pulled that card. So yeah, I think that was probably one of the only. Well, I don't want to say the only. There was a few others, but uh, Chris was down here this past weekend mm-hmm. playing with some scrubs, and he had no interest in handling that animal. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, he, yeah, no, he he'd come down. Yeah. And he, he likes he he likes to get bit. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's usually getting chewed on. Yeah, yeah. Chris is a great great guy, but um, yeah, I'm a little confused by by that because he had come down to pick up some animals that he had gotten and uh, some other people had gotten. So he'd come down to to pick up that box, and it was helping me get some cages set up and putting snakes in. And he'd pick up a bag and he'd read what was in the bag off to me and I go, Oh, that I know that snake, that snake's real friendly and he'd set it down and go, I don't want a nice one and he'd pick yeah, it up right. and <laughs> stick his hand in and pull it out, you know. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That that sounds about right. 
I get a kick out of him every time he comes down because he just—he's got no fear when it comes to that stuff. Uh, like I said, I've—I've I've lost my nerve a little bit. It's taken a little while to regain some of that, especially with my reflexes being a little slower. But Chris, he's just got no fear. He'll reach right in and pull something out. And, and the crazy thing is, he'll pick up stuff that I know will bite me if I try to—if I try mm-hmm. to touch it. And he's sitting. It's like a corn snake. How do you do that? <laughs> Can I have that <laughs> <Yeah>. game, please? <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I remember the first time that I uh, went over to where they had the white lips and stuff, and that was where Chris was keeping his scrubs, and that's where Owen oh, you had the white lips, and he just pulled these mm-hmm. white lips out, and they're just like biting his arm. <laughs> just like, and Snapping these are big white lips. Just like, oh, yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's just like, what? What are you talking about? And like, All yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. And that's and and then you got and then you went and obsessed over uh, a berm. You were, uh, all these white lips, all these scrubs. You're like, look at the berm. I wanted to smack you. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. Smack you. Well, we all we have grown a lot since those days. That's for sure. I know. Right? Um. <laughs> Uh, let's see. What what's the average clutch size for for a uh, for a barn or a amethystine? It uh, depends on the size of the female. Um, those okay. smaller females that we talked about, right? Uh, Ten to fourteen eggs is not uncommon. Again, uh, so with those younger animals, I never had one produce a slug or a, an egg that had a nipple on it or a window. All fertile eggs, uh, the entire clutch. Um, multiple females did that, the, the smaller ones. A uh, larger female I had, she uh, have a clutch size of almost 40 eggs, but you would get, you know, half of that might be slugs, or you get a couple infertiles, and then some with windows and so forth. Uh, and the actual egg size tends to be uh, smaller with the with the larger females, so... What can you compare the egg size to uh, as far as pythons go? Like where do what what's the size of a uh, scrub egg? Smaller females tend to be um a little larger than a uh, standard ball python egg, I guess. Ball okay. Um, so it's a fairly sized Yeah, fairly sized egg. Yeah. Absolutely. Not, but we're not talking like blackhead Egg like dear lord so okay um okay um I, here was a here was something that I saw a couple people mention that the female becomes dark once she's grabbed it. Have you ever noticed that mm-hmm. uh oh, I think we lost them, no, yeah. He can call back in, right? Or are we still in, or are we in recording? Uh, yeah, no, we're uh, not there yet. I hope he knows the call back in. Well, drop him a message, see what happens. In this time, I'll remind everyone that we're still up for radio show of the year when it comes to uh, the rest no, of I think that's over. God damn it. I'm out of options now. I got nothing. The show is totally off the rails again. So, <laughs> uh, well, 
I'm intrigued that you jumped back into Scrubs because I know you were talking about getting out of it, and then you went off and bought a Highland on me, which was caught me completely off guard. Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's like one of those things I go back and forth. Well, you know, you saw my old setup, right? And my old setup was not conducive to keeping scrubs. It just right. wasn't – it didn't work. It wasn't set. No, <clears throat> it wasn't – you needed you needed different things. I mean, it worked for the Halmahara, but that thing was up so high well, and been, it didn't really much matter. So. Yeah, one scrub is one thing, but you right. know, multiple scrubs is <laughs> something totally different. Something totally different. different. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I have I have the few of them, but uh, I don't know. It's just uh, it's they they've always been. I don't know. You know, you talk about focusing and stuff. It's it's kind of like uh, there he is. Okay. Sorry about that. All right. No worries. My phone um, completely just it died, cut off completely with no warning. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> nah, That's no worries. That happens. Um, I forget what I was asking. Oh, I, I know. Once the female becomes gravid, is is you are? I've seen a lot of people say that they become really dark. Is that something that you've seen in your uh, breedings? Absolutely. That has that's been my experience. They get very very dark, um, and will dark, you know, progressively gets darker as they uh, get further along in the gestation. But, um, yeah, very, very dark. I, I got a, another question, and I'm curious just to maybe you observed this, but um, talking with a lot of the Bowens guys, especially the people that have bred them, uh, they say that the female tucks the head down in the coils. Have you seen that with scrubs? Once she's grabbed um, it? I w- well, like I down see. in her coils, tucks it in. I've observed that when they're laying. Um, I mm-hmm. don't have a lot of information from, because most of the time they'll spend a good portion of their time in the nest box. They'll come out for a little bit of time to, at that time I was using um, incandescent spot bulbs. And I will probably do that again if I get a female that's gravid because she'd come out and bask for a little bit and then straight back into the nest box. Um, so it was a lo- little difficult to, to observe what was actually going on in the nest box. Um, gotcha. I did eventually make a little uh, Lexan window that I could cover up to peek in, but um, it's been so long I can't really remember if if I observed much of that or not. Okay. What about as far as the female defending the next the nest box, and is that a sign that you're on the right road? Well, it's a scrub python, so I don't know how to. I don't know if uh, they, what, what counts as defense of the nest. Yeah, box. yeah. <laughs> I tell you what. Okay. Uh, again, open open invitation. Uh, when I've got a female in a nest box. Either of you guys want to come down and let me know whether she's defensive of that or not. Um, you're more than welcome to to be the guinea pig. Yeah, All right. <laughs> yeah, we will send Eric. He can okay. Be our, uh, our our field correspondent for this one, um, and we just let him know how it goes. So. <laughs> uh, 
I don't know. It's something that I saw a lot of people saying that they get real defensive of the nest box. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that, and I, I could be wrong, but I, I, I think that Bowen's pythons tend to be a, a little more docile. Um, I don't, I'm not aware that they're as cage defensive as scrubs tend to be. Um, even some of my more well-mannered scrubs in the cage are completely different animals. You get them out, they calm right down, but, there's no reaching in the cage to grab a water bowl or to pull the animal out, um, unless you're Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but, but uh, he's his face, and that's that's going to get him in trouble one day when something latches onto his head. So that's, you know, not probably there. so. But I don't think yeah. he's going to mind. No. <laughs> um, but. Like I said, even the most well-mannered scrubs that I have tend to be very, very cage defensive. Um, mm-hmm. They sometimes will will settle down a little bit if they know, you know, what's going on. But um, to say, are they more defensive uh, for that egg box? I, I wouldn't know how to tell the difference because <laughs> they're, they're out for way. blood no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> right. Gotcha. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, so what is your experiences with getting a female off the eggs? Hmm. I think that's another encounter that Eric might have to experience for himself. One day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so shields, I... you need shields and stuff. <laughs> Typically what I've done in the past is my egg box is a black Rubbermaid tub that I keep the top on, but I turn it upside down and I have the hole more towards the bottom of the box. When And I, I learned the, the trick with the little Lexan window so you can see what's going on, you know, when she's done. So I'll put a cover over the access hole, pull the hole egg box out with the snake and eggs and everything, take it into a wide open room, set that on the middle of the floor, uh, pop the latches, pull the the actual box part off of the top so you end up having the scrub python wrapped around her eggs without having to go into a box to try to get her out. Mm -hmm. And I'll take a sheet and toss over top and then I can move closer and feel around, feel where her body is and gently uncoil her from the eggs. It usually takes two people, one person holding on to the eggs um, while the other person uncoils the snake, but they don't want to give those eggs up. No. Not one bit. So it's a a night of fun when you got to take the eggs from the... (laughs) Uh, if you want to call it, I, I don't want to see what your, what your uh, <laughs> take on a bad time is. If that, if that's <laughs> uh, well, I mean, if you if if fun is just about wetting your pants, then yes, it's great fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's totally fun. The adrenaline, man, it's the rush. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm telling you, I, my my uh, daughter's big into exercising and stuff right now and she was on the elliptical doing some cardio earlier and I said oh you want cardio come into the scrub room we'll get that <laughs> <around the scrub. laughs> that'll get that heart pumping nice 
Tie a rat to uh, the back of your pants and we'll open some cages. You, you'll have <laughs> yeah, we'll, cardio. You'll get your you'll get your laps in. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh that man. Get me moving. There's my workout program. I just have to start. You know, I have to get a really big bar neck and just tie a rat to the, you know, back of my pants and I'll start moving. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> but really, all joking aside, uh, scrubs really aren't that bad. I, I mean, they get a really bad rap. Um, I mean, if you're used to working with ball pythons, uh, it's going to be a different experience for you. But you just have to learn their behaviors and what they'll tolerate and what they won't. Um, but a very, very re- rewarding species to work with. I mean, I, there's been plenty of animals on my bucket list that I've picked up. And, you know, after a couple of weeks or a month, it's like, yeah, it's not a scrub. <laughs> right. Okay, bye. <laughs> right. <laughs> we can relate. But they tend okay. to be, uh, you know, either people like scrubs or they don't. I don't know too many people that are kind of in between, you know. Right. Uh, I'd agree to that. Yep. Yeah. Um, what about the eggs as far as the eggs go? Would do you set them up just in, in uh, perlite or how, how do you set them up? I'll do the uh, – I've got some of the, what, Cambro – half-sized tubs that I'll get three-quarter PVC couplings. I'll get about five or six of those, and I'll take some of the light diffuser. I'll put the pearl okay. in, the, in the bottom, mm-hmm. and I'll put just enough water to where it starts to float just a little bit um, but doesn't come in contact with the bottom of that light diffuser, and then I'll put the eggs on. Actually, let me step back one step on top of the light diffuser. I get that. I can't even remember what it's called. They, you find it in the craft section. They do some, take some yarn and make pictures. It's a grid, plastic grid yeah. kind of stuff. Um, I know what you're that, talking about. Top of the, I'll put that yeah. on top of the light diffuser because the egg will kind of sink down in between. Um, and I don't drill any air holes or anything with those I will uh, every couple of days lift the top off for a air exchange but I found that if you drill a hole in it's harder to keep the humidity where it needs to be gotcha mm-hmm. okay and they, <clears throat> they really like high high humidity and I keep the incubator at 88 degrees until day 70 at day 70 I will drop it one degree um, then day 80, I'll drop it a, another degree. If they haven't hatched by day 90, then they will get dropped yet another degree. Huh. And, and that's, that's because... I, scrub eggs seem to, after uh, day 60s, they really start to produce in, uh, a fair amount of heat. And if you have too many eggs in too small of an egg box, you're going to have problems. I found that out. Uh, just I had these beautiful scrubs that started hatching, and they would either come out of the egg halfway and then uh, die, or they'd come out all the way and die within a short amount of time, or were dying in the egg after pipping. And somehow I got in touch with, uh, I think through a friend, that got in touch with Tracy Barker, and she said. Her first question was, how many eggs do you have and what size egg box? And she said, nope, you need to 
cut that in half or, or something to that effect. Um, and I did exactly what you said with the rest of the clutches that were in there and the clutch, the rest of the clutch that was um, doing well. I, I dropped the temperature a little bit, and they, the rest of them seemed to do just fine. Is that because the eggs were giving off their own heat to be kind of added yes. to it? or is Okay. So yes. everybody's just getting too hot. So the incubator was at 88 degrees, but the egg boxes mm-hmm. were getting getting warmer than that. I, at, unfortunately, at that time, I didn't have a probe in the egg boxes, so I, I, I don't know what that temperature was. But uh, it had to be pretty significant to be causing the, those animals to perish. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. That's that's <laughs> awesome because I've heard the same thing happen with um, uh, monitor eggs. Towards the end, they get super hot, and it's almost like you have to. Uh, with when we hatched mangrove monitors, we actually pulled the lids off the bins for the final week because it was just giving off way too much heat. So that's interesting. Okay. So I know at the beginning of the show, you kind of talked about you're not breeding this season. You're going to breed next season. What's the pairings that you're most excited about? I have a female that I produced uh, that I'll be pairing with a Spitfire male. Uh, nice. I've got from Ryan. The Spitfire male is affectionately named Hannibal by Ryan for <laughs> for very good reasons. Okay. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to to that pairing. Um, I think I'll have some a pair of Waminas that'll be ready to go. Um, depending on what I decide with this male. Um, oh, what's that? Okay, see, I'm drawing a blank now. Um, there might be a, a pair of patternless that will be ready to go. And then the um, – oh, that locality of that snake that everybody's had. I don't know what's the better name. Baruch? Snake, boomerang, or slut. <laughs> oh, Kofi <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Because yeah. <laughs> apparently she's been around. I mean, yeah. Yeah. everyone's collection. Yep. So, that's cool. Uh, that would be cool. I, I would like to see some some stuff come out of her. So yeah. I also have a, a beautiful pair of manacori. That the female is more than ready to go, but the male is still very very young. But I'm looking forward to to that pairing. Yeah, but that won't be next season. That'll be a that that's still a few seasons away. Okay. Wow. Awesome. That's some pretty Definitely cool stuff cool. you got lined up. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I'm ready to have eggs sitting in the incubator so I can have all those sleepless nights again. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think I'm, I'm going to put the incubator in my bedroom so that. I don't have to walk so far. I to go check on the yeah. eggs. Just <laughs> peek your head over the covers. <laughs> yeah. Yep, they're still there. Yeah, yep, still there. Nothing's coming. Exactly. Awesome. All right, Owen. It's all you. All right. So let's let's see the uh, the the final questions. We'll see if they've changed from the uh, last one. Um, Dave, if you could work with any species without limitations, 
of law or money, what would it be and why? Let's see. Um, with the exception of Scrubs, Scrubs will always be at the top of my list. But uh, <laughs> I've always had a fascination with uh, King Cobras and – Oh, God. <laughs> um My brain's shut off for the night, so you have to forgive me. Uh, Komodo Dragon. Okay. Okay. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Either one or both of those, I would be, I'd be ecstatic. But all of a sudden, the scrubs would be like the least dangerous thing in your collection, as opposed to like the King Cobras and the Komodo Dragons. So there you go. Well, you said without limitation, so uh, I did. did. Um, All right. So, David, if you could go herping anywhere in the world, where would you want to go, and what would you be hoping to find? Uh, Papua and Scrubs. I mean, that's the good saying that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an easy one. <laughs> it's an easy one. Um, so, I guess the final thing is, uh, how would people get in touch with you to, you know, research on Scrubs or get in contact with you about potentially purchasing a baby when you're up and rolling? Um, do you have a website, a Facebook page? Uh, are you just kind of like dipping your toe into it right now and haven't really set those things up yet? Or how would people do that? I I really haven't set too much up. Um, I was going to try to keep a little bit of a lower profile Oops. that's backfired. <laughs> I've already got people <laughs> – Email and saying, "Hey, I want to be put on your list." And I'm like, "What list? Your scrub list? And you have babies?" Like, right. and, and, and it's been like a month. Show. Yeah, that was, that was good. <laughs> you know that was a big yeah. step in the wrong direction coming on here. So yeah, yeah it was already <laughs> out by that time. So I'm like, "Well, you know what? Let's <laughs> let's roll with it." But right. uh, you can you can find me on Facebook. Um, if you can't find my profile on Facebook, then the Scrub Python group. Um, you can find me on there. Email is dvmemes at hotmail dot com. Um, you know, get in touch with me one of those ways, and I, I usually, you know, people want to learn about Scrubs. I'm, I don't like to type, and I don't like long text, so I usually set up a a phone call and be happy to answer any questions and and so forth as time permits. Uh, working on a website. I'll be uh, taking over the website that Ryan had started to set up, and I think there's a Facebook page that goes along with that. So that'll be coming in the future. I don't have any big plans cool. for that coming up overnight, but uh, it's going to be a slow, slow process. Uh, again, uh, working full time, going to school full time, um, trying to get somebody lined up. To come play with Scrubs once or twice a week, uh, <laughs> change a lot of dishes and cages, but uh, not too many people have uh, have uh, decided that that was something they wanted to do. So anybody close to Paul <laughs> Pepper, you want to play with some Scrubs and uh, stuff, get in contact with me. We'll work something out. There you go. Liability Very cool. Liability release, so you you got to sign a liability release. I'm not responsible. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, when you got a female ready to get eggs off of, I'm sure I'll head down and try to uh, have some fun. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll hold you to that. <laughs> if i got to drive up there and bring you down myself. <laughs> yeah, right. Awesome. Well, 
Thanks, David, for coming on. Appreciate uh, you spending the night with us and chatting with us about Scrubs. I wish you best of luck with, uh, you know, your projects and such. And, uh, you know, glad to see you back in it. Absolutely. I'm thankful for the opportunity to come chat with you guys tonight. It's been awesome. Okay. We we hope to see you at Carpet Fest. I mean, you got a standing invitation to come on up here and hang out with the Morelia heads. So. Well, you realize that if I do that, I'm going to crash Carpet Fest carpet fest with Scrubs again, right? Which you did before. Bring you it. Did it again. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> so, uh, We're not going to stop you. <laughs> I may make the trip on up. We'll have to see what, what's going on around that time. But I might I might just Very have cool. to take that trip. Awesome. Very cool. All right, Dave. Have a good night. All right, you too. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Ah, there we go. We got the scrub bug in. Uh, I was. Are you ready to get some scrubs again, Owen? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. There, there, Come on. There's only there's only one pair of scrubs that I would ever let back into my collection, and that would be Malukins. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Malukins are beautiful I mean, animals. Dude, I saw there was an a, there was a Malukin at White Plains, and this thing was gorgeous. It's hanging out at this green tree python table, um, which they were doing their whole. I couldn't. I, I wasn't able to speak to the guys who uh, who had the animal because uh, they were talking to customers and doing the whole thing, and I didn't want to interrupt them just to be like, "That's a cool thing," so you know. But it, it was a gorgeous gorgeous um malukin and of course scott borden and his wife show up uh and i'm like there's a malukin over there he runs over and does the whole i don't know if you know who i am but i own midas and i kind of wanted to smack him for that but uh they wanted two thousand dollars for that uh malukin oh wow two thousand dollars yeah now like now i understand Raising a baby, you know, import or farm bait, like little tiny worm to that size is going to take a lot of time, a lot of money and, you know, all that other stuff. So I can totally understand that. But I'm like, I, I, I would never be able to do that. I would never be able to justify it. That's rough scale money. So, you know, that's Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> so... So I was interested. I was going to try to swing back around and talk to them, but I got caught up with talking to, you know, Jay and Mike Curtin, um, a few other people there. So uh, I never did get back around, but it was still, they're gorgeous, gorgeous animals. I would do Malukins again. No other scrubs. No other scrubs. I'm, I'm tapped on scrubs. So. Okay. Yep. Um, I'm looking... Okay. Um, I was just looking at the uh, editor's choice uh, oh, yeah. for for um, the winners Did for 2016. Yeah. yeah. So the forum of the year was the Tortoise Forum. That's and nice. the radio show of the year was the Chameleon uh, Breeders Podcast. But that that that's the uh, editor's choice, though. That's the editor's uh, choice. Boo. 
well, good for them. I mean, that some love for it the puts team together a good show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. I mean, you um, know, first off, first off, I don't have the balls to even touch a chameleon, let alone raise it. So you've already gotten further than me anyway. So <laughs> congratulations to you people. So that's uh, that's totally cool. Python personality of the year was Justin Kabilka. Uh, he's oh. a pretty cool guy. Justin, he's a ball python guy, but he really does some selective breeding that really is uh, pretty pretty nice. And then honorable mention was Ryan and Kara Norris from the Blood Cell. That's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Oh, awesome. Um, all right. So, yeah, you can check that over on the Reptile Report and go through oh, uh, each individual one if you want. Be, I assume they'll be announcing Reader's Choice in the next, like, what, week or so? I don't know. So, will they do it? Um, um, they, announced, uh, they announced it, and then they wanted to have all this stuff going on for Tinley, which is in early March. So, right? Yeah, I'm trying to see if they have uh, have a date a for it. Thing. Yeah, no, I don't see it. Wow, that's a nice shot of a white lip. Ooh. White lips are gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when they're when they're when they're not coming at you with you know intent to murder, but you know that's neither here. Oh, there. readers, readers' choice will be February 24th, so this Friday. Holy crap! Uh, well, yeah. Friday. There you go. Mm. We'll find out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Owen needs a trophy. <laughs> Owen needs a trophy. Uh, well, it's too late now. It's either it is or it isn't. Well, I know, and, you know, right? so. Like, yeah, I don't know if I'm trying to do the final push. It's over. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Let's see. Next week, we got Ari. Uh, he's coming back, yeah. and uh, we're going to talk wait. about Bowens and his latest trip that he took over to, uh, yeah. to Papua New Guinea. Uh, should maybe, be really cool. Maybe, maybe get a little bit of info on his book. On the book, then, yes. On the book, maybe yeah. try to like squeeze some information from that out of him because you know uh, we we did get him drunk at Southern Carpet Fest and he was kind of telling some stuff, and then I nearly died. <laughs> so um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was, uh, I, I always enjoy talking to Ari. He's always got good stories and good stuff to talk about. So it'll yeah. be fun. I mean, he's going over to Papua New Guinea and, you know, just tromping through the jungle. Again. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. how cool is that? <laughs> uh, so yeah, we have that show and then, um, I haven't got a specific date yet, but Harlan Wall's coming back. Um, yes. Yeah, we got some topics with him. Obviously, he's going to talk and about he, his trip to Brazil. To Brazil, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that's, so that's a good one. That should yeah, be cool. Good stuff. What the hell is this? Was this season five? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm working on a Condro show as well. Um, I just got to nice. get some stuff together, but you know that should be uh, in the near future and. Uh, I guess at some point we'll round about back to carpets for a little bit. Uh. <laughs> well, and then we're, but the thing is that with these shows going in, we're going to start hitting other things like, you know, 
uh, it's not going to be too long before we start heading into April, and then we got to start talking about Southern Carpet Fest, which I don't know if you saw Howard Redding went to the NARBC down there, and he stayed with Bill, and he was running around Bill's house and uh, took pictures with sickness and a few other things like that, and it was yep. funny as hell. So um, I, that got me all excited to reappear at Bill's house. Um, and, and then we're going to start running headlong into the preps for Carpet Fest, and Carpet Fest in June. You know, the season, our, our show season tends to just spill from one thing into the other way faster than we ever intended to. So. Yeah. And come June, come June, we're doing the calendar contest. Damn in right June. we are. <laughs> Don't let me forget. <laughs> we're going to do it in June. Yeah. And right after Carpet Fest. We'll start it directly after Carpet Fest. Perfect. We'll do it there the week go. after. We'll talk about you Carpet Fest it, and announce things. You heard it here the, for the first time right now, ladies and gentlemen. So get your goddamn cameras out and start taking pictures. Yeah, exactly. And no so. ball pythons because Bill is going to have the judge with us. And he oh. has oh. <laughs> So I don't, not a single one can, is allowed. Oh. Not a single one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Be a Candino in like August, I'm gonna get pissed. So, <laughs> would a flower by it? Ah, <laughs> uh, love it. Um, okay, so yeah, we got some cool stuff lined up. Um, yeah. speaking of Carpet Fest, uh, Southern Carpet Fest is 428, uh, yep. and that's down in Arlington, Texas. Uh, for more info on that, contact either Bill Stiegel or Evan Browder. Uh, either of those guys on Facebook, and they'll be able to give you more details. The Southwest Carpet Fest is on June 10th. Uh, for more information on that, contact Travis Johnson. Um, he is. They're doing an auction for U.S. Arc, so stay tuned for that. And I know that they right. have a... I think I read today that they're doing a shirt that's they're finishing up the logo and then they're going to do a shirt and all proceeds go to us arc. So, uh, uh, he said, he said in the area that it's in, um, they have a lot of affordable hotels and, uh, breweries and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and then, uh, obviously the Northeast carpet fest is June 3rd and that's here in Warminster PA. Um, so, so if you're in any of those areas, you, you have one in the South, one on the, on the West coast and then one on the East coast. So you have no reason not to, uh, to, to want to go and hang out. You know, the cool thing about carpet fest, uh, is that again, you get to, to meet some new people, uh, hang out with some old people that, you know, that, you know, um, you get to just get to talk one-on-one with people and get to know them as a person and just have a good time, you know. Uh, it's kind of what it's Definitely. all about. So, uh, if you're interested, I should say in the Northeast Carpet Fest, you can contact either me or Owen, and uh, we'll put you uh, uh, tell you the details. I'm working up uh, the hotels around here uh, one by one. I'm I'm slowly going in them just to check them out. There's there's probably mm-hmm. Four hotels right within my area that's probably maybe, I don't know, 10, 10 minutes away. Uh, Not probably you're right – there are a bunch right off the – there are like three right off the turnpike right near your yeah. house. So they, yeah. they're, they're, they're all right there. 
So and, yeah, straight uh, up. Back, exactly. I mean, and unlike my backyard, yours is flat, so we could put tents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. That is true. I didn't yeah. think about that. Uh, no sleeping in the pool, though. So. <laughs> no, that's, that's drowning. Yeah. You can't have that. So. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it should be a great time. Um, uh, so here we are. What, what's this, the sixth one that we're doing? I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the sixth. I believe it's the sixth one. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we're going to keep going until one of us is dead. So, yep. um, yeah. <laughs> yeah we're not allowed to quit until one of, it's in our so contract until one of us is dead <laughs> so Owen might try to drown me in the pool <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore you're getting drowned god damn it exactly you know <laughs> problem is that as I start drowning you it'll be like a split second where people are like they want to help you but then everyone just starts turning and like raiding your collection because they're like, you know, <laughs> Owen's, Owen's killing Eric quick to the poison ivy babies. I mean, that's yeah. going to go. So Meanwhile, yeah. you're not getting anything because you're too busy drowning me. So exactly. I know. That so sucks. I'll have to ask somebody else to do it. All right. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. You better work <laughs> out your plan a little bit better. Um, <clears throat> Morel- yeah. <laughs> I don't think other buddy would kill me. I don't think he He'll would. He'll do it. He'll nah, do it. I'll ask him. nah. I'll bring it up. I'll see him on Saturday. I'll talk to him about it. I bet <laughs> you if I gave him a poison ivy baby, he would not do it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So for us, Morelli Python Radio, you can follow us on Facebook. Uh, Facebook page is Morelli Python Radio. You can check us out on Twitter, which is at Morelia Python. Our website is MoreliaPythonRadio.com. If you have any questions or comments, guest suggestions, send us an email at info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com. I have three, that's right, three calendars left. Yeah, three, oh including God. Matt's, which is four. So if you're interested. <laughs> well, no, then you don't have four. You only have three. We're not going to give Matt's away. Well, I have four, but, you know, <laughs> I have one for Matt. Three available. Yeah. yeah, three available. <laughs> I think it's three. Uh, I'm sitting there counting. Maybe it's five. Five. Okay, so I have five. I have two up here. I don't know why I have like three, but I have I have two up here. I gave you them to give to people. Ooh, oh, yeah, yeah. Cool. I don't know. You have friends? <laughs> I'll, pretty much you. I mean, I'll bring them. Uh, All right, fair enough. I'll bring them to, to the show this Saturday. So if you're coming to Hamburg, and you haven't there got you the go. NPR calendar, I will have two of them. If you want to grab yeah. them, come over and talk to me. Right. There you go. Simple enough. If you want to um, – if, if if you don't make it to Hamburg. Talk to Eric. Sorry. Uh, I was I was watching <laughs> something again, looking at something again. Um, <laughs> if you don't make it to Hamburg, you can uh, – um, you can send me a PM and I'll get you one. Fifteen dollars shipped in the U.S., twenty outside of the U.S. Um, it seems like I don't know a couple of them that we uh, I don't know a couple of them that went out of the U.S. It sure is taking long. Our post office sucks, man. I swear to God. Why can't they have Why can't they have shipyourcalendars.com or something like that? You know what I mean? Well, Not ship your reptiles. 
ship your calendars. Well, before we before uh, the the guys who make the t-shirts started doing international shipping, I used to send out t-shirts, and it would take for freaking ever. And I felt yeah. like that. I'm like, I have no idea where it is. And they would show up. They're like, we just got it. I'm like, dear God, that was like I sent that thing like two months ago. What happened? Was it on a tugboat the entire time? Like, we have airplanes. It shouldn't have taken this long. So, What's I, weird, though, is I mailed, I mailed out a group of them going to Europe. Now, granted, they're not all going to the same place in Europe. But um, I guess when I think of Europe, I think of, like, you know, it's like the difference between Pennsylvania and California. But that's probably not the case. Right. But anyway. Yeah, I don't know. It's some people got them. Some, some people it's, they're still waiting. So, um, I checked, I checked all the, uh, um, the tracking and it says it's still in shipment. So what I've done is that if for some reason they don't get it by a certain amount of time, just contact me. And then I just send out another one. But, uh, yeah, I've only had that happen twice. So not too bad out of the, what did we sell? 150? I guess. Hundred yeah. something like that. I don't know. Hundred? Hundred. Yeah, that's it. Anyway, <clears throat> um Yeah, I think that's all for that. And then for myself, you can follow me on Facebook, E B Morelia. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as well. My website is ebmorelia.com, dot com and my email is Eric at ebmorelia dot com. Um that's all I got. Cool. Uh, what I got is you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. You can also look up rogue reptiles on facebook.com. Give us a like, check out everything that's going on at rogue. Uh, we got some eggs are coming. Babies will be coming shortly after. So if you want to get a list for anything, now's the time to contact us. Uh, like I said before this Saturday, Hamburg, Pennsylvania reptile show. We will be there splitting a table with Amanda from ugly snake industries uh, normally, I'm right behind Matt Minatola from Philly Herp. Also, Jason Balin will be there, and Howard Redding and Eric Kohler. So it's going to be a packed show if you're interested in anything that we usually do cover here on Morelia Python Radio. So come on, swing by, talk carpets, talk snakes, whatever. Say hi. We'd love to see you there. Um, that's all I got, and uh, that's all we got for you guys tonight. So what we will say is thank you all for listening and we're going to catch you all back here next week for some more Morelia Python radio. Good night.